going to talk about God's love. We're going to we're going to uh, continue the uh, series that we're doing. What's got, love got to do with it? And I'm I'm perplexed right here for a minute because I'm not sure which direction I want to go. Okay, so I'm on. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me. But true love is not a concept to the mind. I want you to understand that. It's not a concept to the mind. It's a demonstration of what's in the heart. And so when, when the Bible talks about God loving us, it's not talking about a concept that we argue about or that we debate about. It's, a, it's talking about something that we experience. God intended for us to experience it. And a lot of people have this negative idea that, that in the Old Testament, God was gruff and hard and angry and, and filled with that. It, that's, not the picture of the, that's not the picture of God in the Old Testament. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. God was a God of love in the Old Testament. He was a a God who created a man and a woman that he could pour out his love into. That there wouldn't be anything that separated them from receiving it. Nothing that could could hold back them experiencing it fully. That's the kind of God we serve. He created Adam and he created Eve. He created the man and the woman so that he he could give them the gift of who he was without measure. And he gave them the gift of choice. And you've heard me say this over and over and over. But you cannot love unless you choose to love. It's not something that you can force someone to do. Do You, you, you realize that, don't you? You can't make someone love you. They have to choose to love you. And so God gave them that wonderful gift so that they could choose to love Him, so that, so that their hearts could be open to His heart, and His heart could be open to theirs. They could experience with Him what He wanted to experience with them. See, it, was, it, was too, it, was, it went this way and this way. It went both directions. And they chose not to. And since they chose not to, we have been running as hard as we can to get away from the very thing we need the most. All through the Old Testament, God pursues them. He pursues the nation of Israel. And Israel, He talks about them being His his bride. He talks about them being His wife. He talks about them committing uh, adultery. And it's the language of love. It's not the language of of wrath. It's the language of love. It's a heart-sick lover who's pursuing the one that He loves. If you don't think so... Read the Song of Solomon, okay? Now, I realize that if you interpret, you, you can interpret that as the love of a man between a woman. But the Old Testament Jews interpreted it as the love of God between the nation of Israel. And the early church interpreted it as the, as the love of, of Jesus for his bride, the church. Now, I'm going to tell you what. It'll make you blush. If you had not read it, you ought to go home and read it this afternoon, okay? But I'm, just be prepared. It'll make you blush. But folks, that's the heart of God. He loves us. And as, as Christians, we are to love one another, and we are to love others. That's, Jesus said they'll know you by what? Our love. Not the world's kind of love, Okay? But the love that God gives us, we in turn give to one another and to others. And we talk a good talk, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be honest with you this morning. We talk a good talk, 
But really, are we expressing God's kind of love on a consistent basis? Are we demonstrating that love daily wherever we find ourselves? Are we really credible examples of the love of God, of the love of Jesus? You see, the culture that we live in doesn't care much for Christians. Y'all do realize that, don't you? Y'all have noticed that, haven't you? You know why? Because we haven't been very good examples of Jesus. Bottom line. It's not them or they or they've done this or we did. It's because we have not looked and acted like Jesus. For most people that are not a part of the body of Christ... Christian is just another group to identify with or belong to or another group that wants something. Y'all do realize that, don't you? Most Christians assume that everybody else understands that they are a Christ follower. But most everybody else doesn't realize that based on our actions. Because very often our actions are no different than anybody else's. The way we behave is, is a lot of times no different than society. But, but the thing is, society separates Christians from Christ. Now, whether you believe this or not, most people in society that are not a part of the church, they hold Jesus Christ with some regard. Now, they may not believe He's God. Okay, but they do believe that that he was he was a prophet, that he was a good man, that that uh, that he is an example to be followed. They do that, but but they don't get that impression most of the time from us. Okay, now I know that's a downer, but that's just reality. We've left negative impressions. And you have to do a lot of positive things to get rid of negative impressions. One negative impression takes a lot of positive ones to, to overdo it and redo it. And that's because, I said this last week, let's just be real honest. Christians can be some of the meanest, nastiest, hard to deal with, hard to please, callous, unkind, malicious, argumentative, Nasty. I mean, that's that's reality. We fight each other when we can't find anything else to fight about. I was, and I don't say this. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Well, I, I just won't say it. How about that? I just won't go there, and I won't have to explain it. But when we can't find anybody else to fight, we'll fight with one another. We'll draw swords and go at each other because you don't believe that a period goes here or an exclamation goes there or whatever. You interpret it a little bit different than I do. And, and that's just, that's crazy. That's crazy. Folks, the problem is we give the kind of love I'm talking about a really bad, bad name. And that's got to change if we want to see the world change. Jesus came to demonstrate who God is in the flesh. Okay? Jesus came to show us who God is. In fact, John puts it this way in in 1 John. I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Jesus that's who the only begotten God is, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. He, the word there is He has exegeted Him. 
He has broken God down into parts so that we could see all of Him and we could understand Him. John tells us that Jesus came to give us a visible interpretation of the invisible God in a way that that we could understand it, that we could grasp it. In, In other words, Jesus came to show us God in living color, in flesh. That's why He came. That's why later... When, when G, Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father. Just show us the Father. That's all we need. And Jesus responded this way. He said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Philip, you're looking at Him. You know, when we look at Jesus, when we observe how He acted and, and what He thought, his attitudes, his actions, we, we've seen God in the flesh. We've seen who God is. You can read the Gospels and you can see God. You can see what God wants, what God expects, what makes God happy, what makes God sad, what makes God angry. It's all in the Gospels. You can see God's purpose and what He wants to do and how He wants to pour Himself out and how He wants to minister. You can see all that in the Gospels because Jesus demonstrated it. He lived it out. I love the way that, that John puts it in 1 John chapter 1. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld, and what our hands have handled concerning the word of life. In other words, man, we were with Jesus. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him. He was the real deal. And that life was manifested. In other words, it was just put on display. It was put on the big screen for everybody to see. And we have seen and bear witness, and now we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In other words, we saw the Father's message manifested, put in living color by Jesus Christ. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Folks, what has love got to do with it? Love's got everything to do with it. I said last week that, that I grew up in church and, and I heard sermon after sermon after sermon on agape love. And you've, you've all heard that word. It's, it's the Greek word for the kind of love that God has. There are different kinds of love in Scripture and, and in the Greek language. There's eros love. It's the erotic love. It's the illicit love. There's, there's storge love. There's... Uh, Phileo love, which is brotherly love. And then there's agape love. All those other loves are conditional. But agape love is unconditional. It's the God kind of love. And that's the definition I heard, but that definition didn't do much for me because I didn't understand what the God kind of love was. And I dare say most of you are the same way. You've heard, how many of you ever heard that definition? It's God's kind of love. Well, that stops short of telling me what kind of love is it. I know God's the source of it. I know God, it's His essence. But what does it mean? And I think that that Jesus fleshed out that love. So if we want to understand the definition and and, and have a picture of what it means so that, number one, we can receive it. Because, see, if you don't understand it, you don't receive it. It, it's a little unknown, and it, it makes you a little fearful. If I, don't, if I don't grasp a part of it, then I'm, I'm not going to receive it. And if I don't receive it, you know what? I can't give it. 
I mean, if I tell you to go out and love people like God loves you, and you don't know how he loves you, how are you going to love them? I'm just simple, okay? It's not complex. I'm I'm just simple. I've I've just asked questions. And so what I want to do for the next couple of Sundays is, is I just want to take, let Scripture speak for itself, and I want us to... To, to get a, an understanding of what unconditional agape love really is. Now, here's something that I think will help us. This definition is not just a, a definition of words. It's a definition with a person. You see, there's a picture. God didn't just give us a definition and tell us to look it up in Webster's. He gave us a picture of someone who was love, who is love, whose essence was love, and his name is Jesus. And so it's, it's, I'm going to read this passage. Now, uh, you're only going to get to see a part of it on the screen because I didn't think I was going to read all of it, but I've changed my mind. I want you to turn to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's going to take me a minute or two, but, but I think it's worth it. Paul writes this letter to a church. Not a lot different than ours, okay? They were a new church. Now, I don't know that we have the problems necessarily that they had. I'm just not aware of them. I'm sure we probably do have some of them. But this was a church that had a lot of problems. They were, they were a new church. They were doing their, uh, they, were, they were, I say, doing their best. They were doing their best. They were trying to handle things like the world handled things. And Paul writes this letter to them. And, and there's issues of, there, there's, there's, uh, there, there, there's issues of, uh, of uh, brothers suing brothers in court. There's issues with the Lord's Supper. There were some of them that were coming early and eating up all the, the, the they had a feast. They just didn't have crackers and grape juice. They had a feast. And so what would happen is, is they, if some of them get there early, well, they'd eat all the food and drink all the wine. And when the service started, guess what? There wasn't anything else left for the people that got there a little later, plus these guys were drunk. There was a guy who was a believer. He was living in an immoral relationship with his father's wife. They were church members. Doesn't really sound like the first century. Sounds more like the day we live in. And there were all kind of issues going on. There, were, there was... A, there was uh, there were some folks that had certain gifts that thought they were better than everybody else. And so Paul writes this, and he's, ta- he's not just talking about the gift issues here. He's talking about everything that he's written about thus far in the book. And this is what he says. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You hear, you hear what he's saying? He's, he's, he's shooting the shotgun out into the crowd, and he's hitting everybody. There were a group that, you know, I've got this gift here. I have the language of angels and the language of heaven. I speak in tongues. I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy. I have the word of knowledge. I have faith. I have faith to move mountains. Hey, I give. And I give a bunch. 
Well, you know what? I'm willing to die for Jesus. I'd go to the Colosseum right now and give my body up to be a martyr. Jesus is, I mean, Paul's just shot out into the crowd, and he's hit everybody there. And he says, this is what he says. But it profits me nothing. I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that if we don't love if we don't love, we're nothing. Then he gives us a definition. He doesn't just say agape love is God's kind of love. He gives us a definition. And there's about 16 points to it. It's, it's, a, it's a complete definition, a, a long definition. We're not going to get all of it today, okay? But he says love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffer. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Then he goes back to the, to the argument that he made just prior to telling us what it is. He says, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they're going to be done away with. If there's knowledge, it will be... Well, it says, if there... Let me start back over. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the perfect is the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? Let me just lay that out there. It's not the Word of God. All right? If you want to argue about that, we'll argue later, but... It's not the Word of God. It's the return of Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away from childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. And then listen to what he says. But the greatest of these is love. You know why the greatest of these is love? It's because it's the essence of who God is. And when we exhibit this kind of love, when we express this kind of love, we look like God. We sound like God. People can see God in us. And I really believe that Jesus exemplified this definition. And so we're going to look at these things step by step for a few minutes. But we're going to look at them maybe in a... I'm going to... I'm going to I'm not going to change Scripture up. I don't mean that. But I'm going to substitute when it says love is. I'm going to substitute Jesus is. And I want you just to see it, okay? First of all, Paul says, love is patient. Jesus is patient. I want you to think about that for a minute. What, what is patient? How many of you are patient? We have one person. And his mate is pulling his hand down, Okay? Patience means to be long-suffering. It means to suffer 
long. It means not to give up or give in. It's the kind of love that takes a long, long, long time to fume up and break into flames. Any of y'all have a short fuse? You're not patient, okay? Whenever I think about patience and Jesus, this is what I think of. I, I think about His relationship with His disciples. Now you just think about it. Jesus, He had fishermen. He had a tax collector. He had a zealot, which was a terrorist. Uh, what else did He have? That's a pretty good mix. He's got some oddballs that just, you know, he just brought them in. They're, they're an odd group, and he's meshed them together. And he lived with them, and he walked with them. They ate together. They, they went everywhere together for three and a half years. You don't think that takes some patience. They were continuously arguing. You just read the text. Just, just read it like you would a book. They were always arguing with one another. I'm going to be first. No, no, me, me, me. I'm going to be first. No, I'm going to be first. Mama. Mama, will you talk to Jesus for us? Jesus. Now, you know my baby boys. Ain't not anybody like them. Can they sit on your right and your left when you get into your kingdom? See what Mama's asking for us. It's just like kids. How many of you got more than one child? They ever do that? Still do. Okay. I mean, it's just real life. And, and they argued, and they jockeyed for position. They were, they were constantly after prestige. They wanted power. They wanted position. Who's going to be first? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the boss? And if that weren't bad enough... They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and they struggled the next time they got hungry. Jesus had just fed 5,000, and they're hungry on the boat trip back, and they're going, what are we going to do? We don't have any bread. Y'all understand? You know what the disciples are like? Us. Us. They're like us. And yet Jesus was patient. And day after day after day, he demonstrated the love of God for them. And he corrected them, and he picked them up. When they failed, he picked them up. I'm talking about he picked up every one of them, even the one who would betray him, who would sell him for 30 pieces of silver every day. He loved Judas just as much as he loved John. And he was patient. I mean, I, I'm one of the, the, the things that comes... To mind, one of the instances is, is uh, James and John, the brothers, they go into a village and people don't want to listen to them. They don't want to hear what, about Jesus. They're not interested. And, and you know what they go and ask Jesus? Lord, can we call down fire and burn that place off the face of the earth? That's what they said. Okay, you just read it. Let's just torch them, God. Shock and awe. I guarantee we do one village like that, the rest of them will fall in line. That's what they did. And Jesus went, no, no, no. He, did, he didn't scream and yell at them. He didn't boot them out the door. He didn't kick any of them out. He just continued to teach, and he continued to teach, and he continued to teach. You see, love is patient. Love's patient. Love works with what it's got. 
I know if you're like me, there are times when I want something different than what I've got in different situations. But you know what? God works with what he's got. He never wishes. You know what? I wish I had somebody else besides an outsider. Good gracious. He doesn't wish that. He goes, okay, got to work a little harder on this guy. See, love is patient. Jesus is patient. But Jesus is also kind. It says love is kind. And that word kind means useful. It means gracious. It means to show kindness. It means somebody who renders service in grace and in mercy. In the second century, the kind of love I'm talking about here caught the pagan people's attention. It arrested them. They, they, they were not, they'd never seen it before. And so what happened is they begin to call uh, they begin to call the followers of Christ Christians, but not from the word Christini, but from the word Christos. And the word Christos means kind and mild. You see, their actions gave them a name. That's the kind ones there. That's the kind, that's one of those kind ones. Let me just tell you, I'll guarantee you there's not a handful of waitresses in America that say that after Sunday afternoon. There go the kind ones. I can tell you what they say, okay? I've heard them say it under their breath when they walked away from the table before. I can't repeat it here, okay? Well, you don't understand. I didn't get what I ordered. You're right. I don't understand. I'm going to leave it there. How they behaved was an imitation of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And he responded to people with kindness. You just, you just think of all the people that he encountered. I mean, when he, when he went into a, a little community, there were mobs around him. It's like a rock star. Okay, or, or, or the President of the United States pulling up in, in town. I mean, they just crowds showed up, and they're pushing and shoving. Everybody wants to get a touch. Everybody wants a piece. And yet Jesus was kind, and, and, and he, was, he was gracious. And there's probably nowhere this, to me, proves itself out, is that when Jesus deals with demonized people, demonized people are hard to deal with, okay? They don't behave certain ways they're all over the place and yet Jesus is, is always kind he's always gentle he's firm he deals with the, the enemy but he's gentle and he's kind to the person you just, you just read it there's, there's a love there that folks is, is different so he was interested in that person these people lived on the fringe of society they lived nobody wanted them around they lived in darkness, and they lived in bondage, and Jesus served them by setting them free. He met their greatest need. He displayed God's kind of grace. You see, God's kindness, He, he poured out His kindness on the people that society had damned, basically. They'd said, hey, we can't do nothing with you. Get away from us. Jesus is kind. Love is kind. Love's kind, but it's also not jealous. And that word jealous there means not to boil with envy. Y'all going to have to give me a minute. The more I talk, the more this thing 
goes up the side of my head. But it says that, that love is not jealous. Jesus was never jealous. See, jealous, jealousy means that you want what somebody else has. The word here is a little bit different from that. It's envy. It means you want what somebody else has, and you're willing to do whatever you can get do to get it. Envy is, is, is being displeased with the success of another person and wanting that person's success so bad that you'd steal it from them. Folks, envy is jealousy kind of on steroids. I want you to listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of attitude is it? Who, although he existed in the form of God, that's, that's a Greek way of saying although he was God. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. See, Jesus wasn't envious of his position. You want to know how much he loved us, folks? Scripture says that he set his position to the side and took on flesh. He became a human being like us with the same limitations that we have. He wasn't envious. If he was envious and he was worried about something, he'd have held on to that, but he didn't. He never ceased to be God. I want you to understand me. He just set it aside. He chose not to use his God attributes. Instead, he limited himself to the things that we as human beings can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. But he wasn't envious of his position. He, he wasn't fearful. When he goes to John the Baptist, man, John is baptizing left and right. They're coming from all over Israel to be baptized by John. Jesus is the Messiah, okay? He's the one John's preaching about. He's the one John is making a path straight for. He's the one John's sermons have been about. And Jesus steps up to John and says, John, I want you to baptize me. So there's no envy in Jesus. He wasn't worried about the crowds John had. All he was concerned about was doing what God had called him to do. Envy is nothing more than fear that somebody else will outshine you or get more attention. That's all envy is. Jesus wasn't envious. He wasn't afraid of that stuff. He wasn't concerned about prestige or position. He was concerned about demonstrating the love of God. That's it. And folks, when we start, stop concentrating on ourselves and we start focusing on other, others, you know what happens? Envy disappears. You know what God says? If you'll humble yourselves, He will exalt you. You know what happens if you exalt yourselves? He will humble you. You say, show me that in Scripture. It's from the first page to the last page. Love is not jealous. Jesus is not jealous. It's not envious. But also, Scripture says that love does not brag. Jesus never bragged. He never boasted. And literally, that word means one who talks a lot about nothing. One who talks a lot and does nothing. Y'all know anybody like that? One who acts presumptuously. One who is a, here, here, here's, here's a word you may be familiar, one who is a windbag. That's literally what the word is. It's the picture 
uh, of a wind, but it's ostentatious. That's, that's a big word, but it, it, it's the word. It means a vulgar display of your wealth and your success so that you can impress people. You know what? Jesus did not come to impress. Jesus came to express. Didn't come to impress, came to express. He came to express the love of God. You know what? The Pharisees were constantly, they wanted Jesus to prove that you're God. Show us a miracle. Do something. Herod, he continually dogged Jesus' tracks because he wanted to see a miracle. And then finally, they bring Jesus to him. And he says, hey, show me a, show me a trick. What did Jesus do? Nothing. He, he, and in essence, he ignored him. Why? Because they wanted to see an ostentatious display. They wanted to see something. They wanted a sign. They wanted a, a miracle. And you know what? There are too many people that want to be seen and they want to be heard for the prestige and the popularity that brings. Listen, if you always have to have a pat on, there's nothing wrong with a pat on the back. Everybody needs a pat on the back every once in a while. Amen? You need to be appreciated. But if you need one every time you do something, or you've got to call the television station and get them to show up with your cameras when you're doing something that you know you should do, folks, that's not Jesus. That's flesh. That's a love that brags. That's an unconditional kind of love. If that's the kind of love you have, you're seeking your own. See, love acts and allows those who experience love to bear witness of that love. They're the testimony. Listen, if we'll just love one another and we'll love people, they'll talk. You know why? Because they don't experience it anywhere else. But if we have to blow our own horns, folks, the note's going to be awful empty. See, love does not brag. Love's not arrogant. Jesus was never arrogant. That word arrogant means to be puffed up. It's, it's, it's very similar to brag. It's, it's, it's not to be puffed up, not to grasp for power. The word means, how many of you know what a, a, a parabellas are? The old blacksmith used to use these things that they pumped to make the fire hotter. And the more they pumped, the hotter the fire got. Well, that bell, that's a bella. And so to, to, to be arrogant is to be like a bella filled with air. Just, you're blowing air. That's pretty much it. There's nothing behind the air. We would call it having a big head. Now I want you to think about this with me for a minute. If anybody who has ever lived on this planet could have been arrogant and had a right to be arrogant, it would have been Jesus. Amen? Jesus healed the sick. I mean, He touched people and, and eyes formed where there were no eyes. He touched people's ears who had no ability to hear and they heard. He touched uh, lepers. And their skin became like newborn babies. Folks, he raised people who were dead. Dead. On the way to the graveyard, already in the box, dead. Okay? Not somebody who just fainted and he revived them. I'm talking about, listen to me, we think, well, you know, you know, you know. Listen, they knew what dead was. Just like we know what dead was. And Jesus raised dead, the dead. Jesus 
walked on the water. Jesus spoke to storms and they dissipated. Jesus did those things. I mean, if anybody in history could be arrogant, he could have been. But he wasn't. He was not impressed with himself, okay? He wasn't impressed with himself. He was impressed by the, by the Father whom he had come to express. This wasn't about Jesus. It was about the Father. You see, love never takes. Love always gives. And when you look at Jesus, the kind of love that he expressed was a giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave. Our problem is we have a bigger opinion of ourselves than really exists. We think we're a lot more than we really are. And we're not. Folks, the idea is that when we show someone the love of God, they don't see us. They see God. If they see me, guess what? What I've shown them was lacking. If they don't see Jesus, it was like, if they see me and they miss God, I fail. You see, pride and arrogance have no place in the church. Let me say that again. Pride and arrogance have no place in the church. There's nobody. If you can step up on the stage and stand with Jesus and your exploits equal His, then maybe so. But there, as far as I know, there's nobody like that. We are all lacking. We are all flesh. We all mess up. We all fall short of the glory of God to, to quote Scripture. Folks, arrogance is an empty expression. It's just an empty void of darkness filled with me, myself, and I. That's it. And Jesus never acted arrogantly. Why? Because love's not arrogant. Jesus is not arrogant. It doesn't... Uh, there's no excuse I'm just going to say that there's no excuse for arrogance I'm going to move on because if I don't I'm going to go somewhere I probably don't need to love does not act unbecomingly there we go I need to express love so I'm not going to act unbecomingly now we say that and we go what does that mean love does not act unbecomingly well it means to, to behave indecently or in a shameful manner it means to be rude in a sense. Love is tactful. Love is never does anything that would raise a blush. Love doesn't embarrass. Jesus didn't come to embarrass us. You do realize that, don't you? He didn't come to embarrass us. He came to bring freedom and He came to bring liberty. He came to break bondage. He didn't come to put our stuff up on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Okay? Can I just tell you this? If you have Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, don't put your garbage up there. Go to your prayer closet and give it to God. Don't read about somebody else's garbage either. Okay? They're just narcissistic and they just want to thrill you with their garbage. Okay? You don't need that stuff in your head. I don't think there's anything wrong with Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Okay? So don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying be careful what you put up there. God didn't come. True love does not embarrass. Now, don't put something about somebody else up there. See, love hides a multitude of sins. The love Jesus had, 
had hit a multitude of sins. I find it interesting that as you read through Scripture, how many of you would agree that Jesus loved Mary Magdalene and that she loved Jesus? Okay? I don't think there's any question. The only thing we know about Mary Magdalene is this, that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. There's no other explanation. Now, in my mind, if, if I'm writing, writing a book with some stuff in it and I'm talking about people, I'm going to put some more details. We don't have any details. You know why? Because we don't need to know. I think about the woman who comes in and, and falls at Jesus' feet and begins to weep and, and to cry and, and, and her tears begin to fall on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair down and begins to wipe it. We don't even know who, what her name is. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't embarrass. Now, Scripture tells us that, that she was, in Luke 7, it calls her a sinful woman. Now, we've interpreted that to mean she was probably a prostitute, or she was this, or she was immoral. But if you study the text and you look at, at the language, the issue that the language says, it was her character, not her acts. So I don't know what she was. It just says she was a sinful woman. We could put our names there in reality. We don't have the details. Why? Because the details weren't important. Jesus didn't come to embarrass her. He came to set her free. The Samaritan woman. Y'all know her. Married six times. Living with a man seventh time. Now, let's just be honest. If you've been married six times, the issue is not with the husbands. Amen? It may be one or two of them, but... But not six times, okay? And yet Jesus doesn't go into all that garbage with her, does he? He just makes a statement. You're right. You're not married. You've been married six times. The man you're living with now is not your husband. That's all he said. He didn't go into what was wrong with her because it wasn't for us to see. You see, he loved her with a love that hides the sins and deals with them. Now, I don't mean we're, we're to... To, he, he didn't, uh, you know, tiptoe by them and act like they weren't there. He dealt with them. Folks, we don't have to expose everything. We don't have to hang the laundry of somebody else up so everybody can see it. That's not Jesus. That's got some other problems that I'm not going to deal with this morning. And then there's another guy, and this one, this one boggles my mind. Because if I'm going to write a case study, this is the guy I'm going to write about. His name's Legion. Okay, He's got 6,000 demons in him. That's what legion means. 6,000. Look, they didn't just get there because, you know, he smoked a cigarette or drank a beer. They got there because his life got opened up for some reason and got, you know, this guy's a mess. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't embarrass him. Jesus just deals with his stuff. He casts them out. And then he covers him because he ain't got any... I, this is the most beautiful picture to me of, of, of gentleness and the kind of love that I'm talking about here. He, he doesn't have any clothes on. Okay, He's naked. He ain't had a bath in who knows how long. His hair's matted together. They slobber all over his face. He's got gashes in his arms and in his chest. I mean, he, he's scary. And you know what it says Jesus does? It says he, he clothes him, he covers him. 
Folks, that's the picture of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus wasn't concerned with case studies. He was concerned about people's souls. And his actions don't embarrass people. They set people free to be all that God intended them. You know, there are some people, and sadly they're Christians, most of them, they think you're supposed to tell the truth. Just be blunt and just be crass. You know what? You can tell the truth and not be blunt. And you can tell the truth and not be crass. And you can tell the truth and be gentle and kind. Amen. Love doesn't have to say everything that goes through your mind. Y'all do realize that. I've had people come to me for counseling and, and say this. Well, I, I thought about, I lusted after that person. I figured God said I might as well do it, so I did it. Can I just tell you that's stupid on steroids? <laughs> it really is. I asked one of those people one day, I said, well, I've got a gun over here in my drawer, and I'm thinking about killing you right now. But I don't think I will. Should I have pulled it out and shot you based on your line of thinking? I should have. He goes, just because it flies through our head does not mean we have to act on it. Now, I didn't have a gun in my drawer. I've never counseled with a gun before, okay? Sometimes you have to make a point. That's not what Jesus meant, okay? Folks, the love of God, the love of Jesus, the love that Scripture's talking about, agape love, is gentle. It's gracious. Now, very quickly, love doesn't seek its own. Jesus did not seek His own. In other words, He didn't do what He wanted to do in a, in a selfish sense. He didn't do things to gain something for Himself. And folks, we don't love to get anything. We love to give. We give, we give, we give. Jesus didn't come with a personal agenda. He came with God's agenda. That was it. He came to do what was best for us. In Mark chapter 10, this is what he says about us. He's talking to his disciples, that same bunch that argued and fussed and fought over everything. He says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But that's not so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you should be the servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you should be the slave of all. For even, listen, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Folks, love gives. It does not get. If all you can think about when you love somebody is what you're going to get, it's not God's kind of love. Love gives. Love seeks. It doesn't search for what it wants. Love serves others. It doesn't serve itself. It's not narcissistic. It's not self-promoting. You see, love does not seek its own. And then finally, we're going to stop here today. Love is not provoked. Jesus was never provoked. Okay? Jesus wasn't irritated or, or promoted or prompted to be angry in a sense. Now, I, give me a minute because I, I, Jesus did get angry. Okay, I'm not saying Jesus never got angry. I'm just saying that, that the, love, the love he had, when he didn't get what it wanted, he didn't get angry. Okay? 
Love does not cause the lover to get irritated at the object of his love. It doesn't cause him to get touchy or to get impatient or to get indignant. See, selfishness generates that kind of thing. It's selfishness becomes irritable. This kind of love that I'm talking about never gets annoyed. I want you just to think about Jesus. Every day he's with needy crowds, hundreds and hundreds of people. He never lets them get under his skin. How many of you have ever been tired? When I get tired and I get hot, I get short. I mean, that's just, it's not right, okay? And I confess that. But when I start to get tired and, and I start to get weary, then I start to get really short. Jesus didn't get short. I'm talking about when, when the service was over, the prayer lines went on forever, and he was there when most people were back home in bed still ministering to people. And yet he never got sure. He, he's doing this, and the religious leaders are throwing rocks at him, verbal rocks all the time. He never gets upset. Just imagine after a long day of healing, you look up and the line still has no end. Or just imagine this, you're, you're sitting in, in a, in, with a group of, of religious leaders, men who should know God and have a compassion and a love for people that are hurting. And there's a man over against the wall, and his hand is all drawn up. And you say, hey, stretch out your hand. And he does, and that, and that hand begins to move, and it comes back to life. And all the people that were sitting around her go, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You're not, the law doesn't allow that. That's sin. You know what, if I'm going to get mad... And call fire down on a group of people. Right there is the place. But Jesus doesn't do it. Now Jesus rebukes them. Understand that. But he doesn't go, you know, he doesn't go uh, postal on them. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying. Now that would have been a place to, to just go nuts. But Jesus doesn't do that. You see, people don't make us angry. We choose to be angry. People don't irritate us. We choose to be irritated. People don't make us touchy. We choose to be touchy. It's a choice that we can either make to be or not to be. And Jesus didn't do it. Nobody can make you blow your top. Now, they make him push all the buttons, but you're the one that chooses to launch. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. Jesus did not get angry because he didn't get what he wanted. Jesus got angry at things God was angry about. He got angry at religious leaders who were piling, 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 piling things on people and telling them they were unworthy, that they were sinners, that they could never measure up to God. That made him angry. And there's another instance where he gets angry and he takes and makes a whip and he drives. And and listen to me. Merchants don't leave their stuff unless they're driven out. Okay? Now, most people say, well, Jesus never hit anybody. I got a table full of coins. I ain't leaving them, okay, for some other thief to get. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Scripture says that he got angry, but it wasn't because they were selling sheep or changing coins. It was because they were in the court of the Gentiles. 
You say, well, what's, what's that? Well, the court of the Gentiles was as far as we could go to worship God. There was the court of the women, court of the men, and then there was the, the, the outer court and the inner court, the Holy of Holies. And, and as you got closer to God, there got fewer and fewer who could go. Okay? So as Gentiles, we stopped out there in the... I'm talking about the, the nosebleed section. If you're, at, if you're at, uh, at, at, at Auburn or you're at Tuscaloosa, you're sitting so high up you can't tell who it is playing. That's, that's where the court of the Gentiles was. And what they had done is the religious leaders had given these merchants and these coin changers permission to put all their stuff in there. And so, guess what? We couldn't get in to pray. That made God angry. And Jesus got angry and he drove them out. Folks, God's angry, God's anger, Jesus' anger here is not generated out of his own selfishness. But it's out of the zeal and the passion for what God was trying to do. And so really that love, that, that anger was an expression of God's love for us. Love's not provoked. It's not angry. You say, the kind of love I'm talking about is different than what most of us have experienced or have ever expressed. But it's this kind of love that God tells us to share with the world. It's this kind of love that God says, you know what, I pour out on you. You know why I'm here today? Because of this kind of love. I've made enough mistakes in my life to be toasted with flames from heaven. Okay? And yet God loved me with an unconditional love. And he's still dealing with me about stuff. He's poured the same kind of love out on you. And in return, he says, I want you to love people that way. I want you to love one another that way. And I want you to love the others that way. And folks, this is the kind of love that we're to to give to those that don't think like we think. Don't look like we look. Don't believe like we look. And don't act like we act. This is not the kind of love we just pour out on people who are like us. This is the kind of love we pour out on everybody. And can I just tell you, that's tough. But that's the command. That's what God requires. You know why? Because you and I no longer exist. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but He who lives through me. So Jesus is trying to live through me. He's trying to live through you. He's trying to love people like that. Let me just ask you this question. I'm, I'm going to stop. Does the love you're expressing today look anything like that? If it does, keep on keeping on. If it doesn't, God's not condemning you today. God's saying, change the way you love. You struggle with patience. Let me love through you. You struggle with irritability. Let me love through you. You struggle with a love that's arrogant. Let me love through you. You you struggle with 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 not being with with loving people with a love that's not becoming. In other words, a love that embarrasses. Then let me love through you. That's what God is saying this morning. He's not here to. Con- There's no condemnation here. It's just that God wants to, us to experience that kind of love from Him, so that we can express it. 
so he can express it through us. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. Folks, until we learn to love like this, nobody cares what we got to say. In fact, most people are not interested in what we got to say until they see what we say acted out before. Actions speak louder than words. When we begin to act like Jesus, guess what? People begin to listen to us. When we begin to act like Jesus, when we begin to love like Jesus, it changes things. It changes things. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.